good morning, everybody. So good to see you today. I just want to give a praise report. Yesterday, we had our Vision 2022 meeting downstairs and in, uh, in the basement, and we had such a great turnout of uh, our church family. It was just kind of, it was really pretty full and kind of got a little warm, but we had a great fellowship. It was great interaction. And I just want to say how much I appreciate, if you were able to come, how much I really appreciate that. If you weren't able to come, hopefully you can come to some in the future. But when I walked away yesterday, I was just so grateful for the, the people that God has given to our family, to all of us. We are a really blessed church. I don't know if you know this. You should hobnob with each other because you're some really awesome people. And, you know, I, I just, I, it, it really helped me to just once again appreciate the, the caliber of people that we have here and the children of God. And I'm so thankful uh, that you were able to come. And, and if you weren't able to come, uh, you're pretty good too. And uh, no, I mean that sincerely. We're, we're certainly super, super blessed here at Abundant Life Fellowship. Amen. I am in a series right now entitled, It's Time to Rebuild. And I really feel like that we are in a season where... Um, after everything that we've been going through, we are in a kind of a rebuilding process or rebuilding kind of program, if you will. And I know that Jesus said, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. How many of you ever heard that word? Isn't that a good word? So Jesus says, I'm going to be doing that. And the way that he builds his church is through the instruments and the, and the vessels of people like you and me. Well, in life, sometimes we go through a shaking and uh, things fall to the ground. And maybe there are things that need to fall to the ground. Things maybe crumble and, and things that we relied on or things that we thought were really important. We find out that they're not the real deal. And that, that God wants there to come a kind of a rebuilding process in, the life, in our lives personally, in our lives as the people of God. And I really felt led, I felt really directed of the Holy Spirit to bring this word. And, and last week we talked about kind of, I'm, I'm just sharing some things that I felt like the Lord dropped in my spirit about, you know, when it's time to rebuild, what does that mean for us? What, is, what does that look like? Well, obviously I'm not going to exhaust this for weeks on end, but I do want to take time to just kind of pour into some ideas. Last week, we talked about this idea of getting our priorities uh, realigned, reset our priorities. You know, I don't know if you're like me, but every once in a while you start getting your priorities out of order. Am I the only one? I'm not the only one, right? Um, so we need to kind of get things back in order, which means, we talked about it, out of the book of Haggai where the people went back to rebuild the temple. That's what God wanted them to do. And he said, you got to stop making excuses for why you're not doing what I want you to do. You need to start obeying God and just start doing what God tells you to do. And serve. Everybody pick up a hammer. Everybody pick up something and just start working at it. Oh, and then you got to stick with it because it's not going to happen overnight. Amen. You got to get in there and stay in there and stay with it because the 
kingdom of God is coming. And it's coming partly through our efforts and our obedience to the Lord. And so we talked about that last week. Today, I want to talk about resisting our adversary. Anytime we start to build, the devil starts to battle. As soon as you set your heart to get your priorities in order and be about the Lord's work, you can count on all of hell coming against you. And, you know, just like when you make a New Year's resolution and you're going to start doing certain things, have you ever noticed that all of a sudden it becomes a major warfare for you to get that thing accomplished? And that's, that's it is spiritual. It's spiritual warfare. And we want to talk about that today. We're going to go to the book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can look there. It will come up on the screen. And I want to take us back. Now to 15 years before Haggai came, and I want to show you the shutdown that happened. Remember in the book of Haggai, for 15 years they had not been building the temple. Well, I want to go back all the way to the book of Ezra, and I want to unveil, I want to unpack this, the reason why they stopped, okay? So let's look at it here in Ezra chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. It says, now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building or rebuilding the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the fathers' houses, and they said to them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do, and we have sacrificed to him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here, but Zerubbabel and Jeshua, or Joshua the re- and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel said to them, you may do nothing with us to build the house of our God, but we alone will build the Lord uh, to build to the Lord God of Israel as king of Cyrus, king of Persia, has commanded us. Verse 4, then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of the king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius. So for 15 years, the enemy kept coming at them, or 15 years before. And then I want you to look at verse 24. Ezra chapter 4, verse 24. It says down at the end, Thus the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased. And it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. They were building, but the enemy showed up. The adversaries, it said, showed up and just kind of hounded them to the point where they just put down all of their tools and they just laid down and just stopped. And we're going to talk about this today. Amen. So, Lord, I pray now that in these next few moments, Holy Spirit, Please come and let your grace be in this room and give me the ability to share your word. Um, Just, Lord, yeah, give me the grace to be able to share your word. Thank you that you are here right now in Jesus' name. And everybody says amen. Amen. Why don't you turn to somebody and just tell them, listen up. Go ahead and tell them 
Just tell them that. In verses 4 and 5 of the passage that we just read, you can see the tactics of the adversary against the people who were rebuilding or building or working on the kingdom of God. It says in verse 4 that they discouraged them. And the word discouraged in the Hebrew means to sink or to make low. And it carries the idea of being disheartened. In other words, the enemy was coming at them to such a degree and with such uh, ferociousness and just kind of unrelenting nagging at them that it just took the wind completely out of their sails. And then it also said that the enemy, in verse 4, troubled them. And the word for troubled literally means to make the heart palpitate. It means to terrify, to raise up fear in the heart so they were being they were discouraged or they were being uh, constantly harassed and intimidated to the point where fear began to rise up in their heart and then in verse 5 it says that they frustrated their work or they frustrated their efforts and that word frustrated means to break or to make ineffectual. So what essentially the enemy just kept coming at them, nipping at their heels, trying to break them in their stride, and eventually they got so exhausted and frustrated that they just quit, they just gave up. Because the enemy wasn't going to stop. And because the enemy didn't stop, They just kind of gave up, let down on the work of God, and for 15 years, the will of God was not done. This is pretty heavy stuff, but we're going to go through it anyway. Amen. I I just want us to understand that when they began to give themselves to the work of God, the enemy started to battle against them. And the the adversary for them and the adversary for every one of us in this room today will not, he will stop at nothing to stop the will of God in our lives personally, in our marriages, in our finances, in, in, in our relationships, in our choices. He will stop at nothing to stop the will of God in your life. And the only way he wins is if we stop. That's the only way. And so we're talking about spiritual warfare here today. Because as we begin to build and God begins to bless, the enemy will start to battle. And we're going to have to be people who stand our ground. In fact, I want you to, uh, if you would pull up uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 for me. It says this, we need to be sober, we need to be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He, is not, he will stop at nothing to take advantage of any time that he sees a weakness in our resolve or in our uh, you know, just willingness and readiness to do God's work. He's looking for any chink in the armor. Amen. Now, I don't want to sit here and make the devil bigger than he is. I just want to remind us all here today 
the devil is already defeated. Come on, can I get a good amen? amen? Now listen, he has power, but he doesn't have all power. Jesus destroyed the work of Satan at Calvary, the Bible tells us. And it says that Jesus, through his death, burial, resurrection, he took the keys of Hades and of death, which means he possesses all authority over heaven and earth, principalities and powers, whether earthly or demonic. He has all authority, and then he turns around and he transfers his authority into you and me. Imagine that. I've been deputized by Jesus himself. You've been deputized. You have the authority of Jesus in you. And the only way that the devil gets the victory over our lives is if we allow it. That's the only way. But listen, please hear me. Just because he's defeated doesn't mean he's not dangerous. And if we are not on our toes spiritually speaking in sobriety and vigilance like Peter told us there he said stay spiritually sober in other words don't be intoxicated and distracted by the by the all the stuff that the world listen keep your eyes wide open every relationship you start every business venture everything you do in life stay alert because the enemy is looking for any inroad into your life Tear it down and to destroy it. And vigilance and sobriety in the spirit realm is on you. He'll take advantage and he wins the advantage only if we give him the open door because you have the power of Christ residing in you. Amen. Isn't that good news? Now I want you, I want to, I want you to see here something. Paul said... In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, this is the NIV version. He says that Satan, what Satan wants to do there, uh, 2 Corinthians 2.11 should be up there. Think? No? There is no? Okay, very good. I'll read it to you. He said that Satan wants to outwit you. But he says, we're not going to be unaware of his schemes. Amen. Satan is thinking up ways to outwit you, but don't be unaware. He has schemes, he has plots, he has wiles, he has ideas. But you and I can be, we can be smarter than that. We can be on top of that. Amen. We don't have to walk around like we're dumb and stupid. Pardon the expression. We can use our thinker. He's using his. Come on. Did I offend somebody already? We're just started. Wait. Satan has schemes. He has strategies where he seeks to ensnare us and hinder our work in the Lord and our life in the Lord. And he will do all he can to discourage us, to trouble us, to frustrate our efforts. But we got to keep our wits about us and be on high alert of his devices individually and corporately. And so today, what I want to do is I want to talk about some of the 
satanic schemes that we need to be aware of as the people of God in this rebuilding process, whether I'm rebuilding in my own life and I'm restructuring my life and I'm coming, I'm, 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 I'm putting my efforts and my energies in to my own life and in areas where I know that the walls have fallen or things have been overcome or what we're doing as a church and what God wants to do here at Abundant Life. Here are some satanic schemes that we need to be aware of in the rebuilding process. The, I want to talk about is the infiltration of the enemy. Now, I want to talk about this word infiltration, that subtle, sneaky attempt to undermine our standards and our values of living. The enemy wants to infiltrate. He wants to get into your life in a very, and he'll try to do it in the most subtle ways. Do you remember the story that I read here? In, in Ezra chapter 4, the first four verses, it talks about how the, the adversaries of the land came to the children of Israel who were there to rebuild the temple, and they said, hey, let us build the temple with you, for we serve your God too. But they left out, but we serve other gods. We have other agendas, but let us become a part of what you're doing, let us in on your life, and, but they're leaving out a really important aspect that they have a whole other life and a whole other agenda. And really what they were up to was to get in to the ranks to permeate within the people to decrease their authority over the land because they were there to rebuild it and to establish it according to King Cyrus. But they wanted to weaken their resolve, hopefully to cause them to compromise their values, to water down the truth, and ultimately take over. You know, the devil has been up to the same mess, and he's doing it today. He wants to get into your life and into the church, and he'll, he'll come and it'll sound like, well, you should, you should accept this, and you should accept that, and you should put up with this, and you should put up with that. I mean, after all, aren't you people who love people? Come on now. It's quiet in here. Don't leave me, don't leave me stranded up here. The enemy wants to get in and he wants, he wants to fight. He wants us to kind of welcome him through ideology and philosophy and uh, political issues or whatever the case may be so that we're just kind of open-ended and accepting of everything. And what we do in doing that is we compromise the value of God's word. We water down the truth. We have to hold to the standards of God's truth and God's word and not give any place to the devil. Amen. This is really important because as we rebuild in the kingdom of God and we're reestablishing ourselves, we have to hold to the truth of God's word. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Paul the apostle writes and he says, if I am delayed, he said, I'm writing this letter because if I'm delayed to get to you, I want you to know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, 
which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. The church is the pillar and the ground of truth. And we cannot allow untruth, half-truth, part-truth to mix and mingle with the truth. Because then you have a faulty pillar system and a faulty foundation, and that's when things crumble. And that's when things crumble in our lives personally as well. When we make little slight adjustments and allow ourselves to compromise the standard of what God has taught, showed us in his word, and, this is, and then we wonder why. Why is my life falling apart? Because you have mixed ingredients in your building process. Man, I'm telling you, it's lonely up here right now. This is the plot of the enemy. It's a scheme. Paul said, let's not be caught unaware. He's trying to outwit you. And he wants you to think that these little subtle adjustments in your life that don't seem to have a, they don't, they don't just outright come against certain things but you're making allowances for where the enemy can get a foothold. And we can't do that as a church. This is why we have to hold to a standard when it concerns, let's say, leadership in the church. And you say, well, they're such a good person. Well, they're, you know, they're, this is their lifestyle. Well, they're such a good person. Well, I, I, I'm not judging them as an individual, but I have to discern and we have to do things according to, this isn't a Bible, this is my iPad, but the Bible's on here. We have to do things according to the Word of God. And so we can't always, you know, we, we, we can't always say yes. Sometimes you have to say no. And that's hard. Especially when you live in a world and in a culture right now that says you got to accept everything. And I'm saying this as a church, as a pastor's point of view, but listen, we need to be saying this individually. Just in the world that we live in. The enemy's scheme is infiltration. A subtle, sneaky, just kind of cozying up and it's dangerous the second tactic that I want to talk about is isolation this is where the enemy seeks to keep us apart and alone and to ourselves as if let's just say me and Jesus we got it all figured out I don't know what you got figured out, but it ain't right. <laughs> Amen. From the beginning, God said it was not good for man to be alone. And yet, it's interesting how many people have exited the church and are living alone on the outside. 
from the body of Christ when God himself said, this isn't a good idea. You say, well, I got neighbors around me. I got people. I see people at Walmart all the time. That's not being with anybody. Amen. You say, well, we've been quarantined. We had to go through. Listen, there's a, there's a difference between quarantining as a necessity and quarantining as a lifestyle. Now, there are times that may happen again in our society. We may have to make adjustments and quarantine. I don't want to, but if, they, if we have to do that for a certain reason, for a certain season, that's one thing. But you can't do that for a life. God said it is not good for people to be alone, but there are so many people in the last 20 years, over 50% of the church's population have exited the church, and they're just gone. I'm not saying they're all going to hell. I'm not judging people's soul. I don't know where they're at, but, I, but they've exited. They're living alone. They're living in isolation apart from the body of Christ. It's happened. Did you know the number? That? That's a high number. Over 50% of the population of the church since the year 2000 has just exited. Satan uses pride and shame to keep us to ourselves. This is what he's been doing. When God said in the beginning, it is not good for man to be alone, the very next thing we read about in the very next chapter is that old serpent slithers in and comes up and cozies right up to Adam and Eve and starts talking to them, and then they ate an apple, and then they felt shame, and they separated and hid from one another, and then they were hiding from God. Isolation, isolation. I can do this myself. I can figure this out myself. No, you can't. You need a family. You need a body. You need an army. You need a people that are yours. And what did they do? What did they, what, how did they feel? They felt exactly what the enemy wanted them to feel. God said it's not good for man to be alone. And so his purpose is to try to drive everybody apart, get them in shame, or get them in pride to where they don't feel comfortable being around people. That's just what the devil does. He did it to me. Jesus warned Peter, Peter, this is what's going to happen to you. Satan is asking to sift you. He wants you, Peter. He wants you. And the Bible said when Peter succumbed to the temptation and he denied Christ, what did he do? He went off by himself. But Jesus had already set him up. He said, Peter, my prayer for you is that when you return, you will strengthen your brothers. What did the, what did the devil try to do? Not just to deny Jesus, but to drive him away, to separate him from the people. He went off in isolation by himself, and he wept bitterly. And he was in his own pain. And he was in his own struggle. But Jesus had been praying, you got to return. you got to come back. You can't stay out there. That's what the enemy wants. And so if we're in a building process in our lives personally or corporately, we got to stop this isolation. Here's what Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, I bet you knew this was coming. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not forsaken the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another 
and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Don't stop meeting together, but get together all the more. Amen. Praise God. So the enemy comes at us with scheme is infiltration, isolation, separation, number three. Now, the word separation literally means division. Listen, if Satan can't keep us apart, he will drive us apart. He tries to. And this is called division. And I want to read this. Uh, I, I think I had this up there. 1 Corinthians 1.10. Do I have that one? Blast. Anyway, the verse of Scripture says, don't be divided. Don't go off and be divided amongst yourselves. He said, I want you to be of one heart and of one mind. That's what we have to have in the church. One heart, one mind. Don't let there come any division. And he went on in that passage and he talked about, some of you say I'm a I'm of Paul, and some of you say, I'm of Apollos, and some of you say, oh, I'm of Christ. Wow, that was a really low blow. I'll one-up you. And he says, no, this is, this is wrong. This is, this is not right. You're letting, you're letting ideas, you're letting personalities, you're letting theologies, whatever the, you're letting things to come, letting them come in and wedge against you and drive you apart. And it's destroying the church. Satan uses political issues, he uses racial issues, he uses personal things, theological differences to try to divide us. We've been in the thick of it for a couple of years here. Come on, can I get a witness? I thought I was lonely before. It's going to get lonely now. We've had, there have been so many ideas in this pandemic and stuff that's going through, politics, and then the rise of racial tensions that have been going on in our society, and then you've got party lines, I mean, driven, very broad and deep lines Listen, we can't let what the spirit of the world is affect our spirit. We all in this room have differences politically. We think differently about the shot. Everybody in the room does. We can't let anything drive a wedge between us to drive us apart from each other. That's just stuff. Now, you may think it's big stuff, and another person may think it's small stuff, and then there's some that think it's in-between size stuff, but it's just stuff. We can't let it destroy our faith and our heart and our love for one another. I heard one preacher say about the shot, listen, if you want the shot, get the shot. If you don't want the shot, don't get the shot. Just leave it there. We've got a kingdom to build. 
We've got stuff to do. We can't let anything stop us from being who God called us to be and go where God called us to go. And I'm not going to let a shot determine the outcome of my life. I don't want that anyway. Amen. He's using politics. Personal differences. Personal differences. Everybody in this room is different. You married somebody that's different. I mean, they're really different. They are super different. Amen. You're making it work, aren't you? You don't have a choice. Come on. Really, truly, in God's eyes, you don't have a choice. In the Lord's eyes, you got to work this out. You say, well, I made a mistake. Well, that's on you. you got to now work this puppy out. Because the Lord said, I hate it. I don't like it. It's not my heart. And I'm not, I'm not trying to judge people. I don't want anybody to feel bad. I'm just driving home this idea that we have differences. And you can't run from those things. You have to work through those things and work them out. And when you get a group of people this size, or there'll be another, another service that'll be pretty similar to this size, one way or the other, a few less, a few more, and we, we just have all kinds of people, all kinds of personality. We have to learn how to work together, love together, live together in Jesus. You may be a Democrat, or you may be a Republican. You may be, you may be progressive, or you may be super conservative, and one of you is wrong. <laughs> I just won't tell you which one. Keep it together, Tim. <laughs> but we have to stay in love with each other and accept a, that person for who they are. James chapter 3. This is so important. James chapter 3. I'm pretty sure this is up there. Verses 14, 15, and 16. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Stop right there. He says, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking, don't try to deny it. That's what he's saying. Don't boast and lie against the truth. Don't be trying to deny it. If there's self-seeking and envy there, don't deny it. Go on to the next verse, if you would. This wisdom, what? The wisdom of the world, which is envy and self-seeking and bitterness. This wisdom does not descend from above, from heaven, from God. It's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. Next verse. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So our division, whenever we let personalities, politics, pandemic issues, whatever the case may be, whenever we allow those things to drive a wedge in our heart against somebody, it's demonically induced. It's demonic. So how do we battle this separation and this division? We have to, we have to listen a lot. Learn. 
love them. Let go of some things. If you, if you don't agree theologically, sometimes you're going to have to let go of that. You're just going to have to let go of that and not let that be. There are some things that are non-negotiables. Jesus is Lord. Through the cross of Jesus Christ alone, we have salvation. The word of God is the word of God. There are just some non-negotiables, but even in those, I don't want to go around hating on people. They just need to come to their senses, <laughs> right? And sometimes you got to step back and let God do the teaching because your tweeting and your Facebook posts are not working. Amen. Here's another way the enemy wants to sneak in through legislation. By this, I mean the use of official tactics to hinder the work and the will of God. And I bring this up because I didn't read this, but I would encourage you to go back and read all of Ezra chapter 4 because in verses 6 through the end of that chapter, it talks about be, that the adversary wrote a letter to the king saying, these people, do you know that these people have been a thorn in the side of governments and kings for millennia, for centuries? They have been rebellious. They have not paid their taxes. They have... They have any time an authority kind of came in to, to be a governing authority, they rebelled against that and they fought against that. They've been a thorn in other government side and they're going to be a thorn in your side if you don't stop this building. And you know what the king, he said he went back, to, he sent a letter back to the people and he said, I researched what you said, it's exactly the way you said, and so I'm sending forces to stop them. Legislation. Government power. Amen. The enemy, Satan, listen, please hear me. Satan will get human law and government involved to repress and restrict the people of God. Now hang with me. I know this sounds like I'm... Mounting a militia, but I'm not. Just hang with me. Stay, in, stay with my spirit here. This happened in communist China. I know this has been a long time ago, but it was in my generation. I was born, and it was going on in a big-time way, where the government said to the church, because what you teach and what you believe contradicts what we want and what we say, we're shutting you down. And the only way you can have church is if you have church the way we want you to have church. And you're going to say the things we want you to say, and you won't say things against certain things. Does that sound familiar? I said, does that sound familiar? You're going to do church the way we think it should be done. And if you don't do that, it's prison for you. We'll shut you down. 
I am so thankful that the church remained at the church. It had to go underground. But for decades, the China church was the fastest growing segment of the church for decades in the midst of that persecution. And, I, and it was persecution. Now listen, there are things that come against us in, in and let me just go, let me just say this about, let me, let me share with you the stages of persecution. It starts with stereotyping people. You just throw out a blanket statement, you just stare at those people. That, that's level one. Level two is vilifying them. Level three is marginalizing them, pushing them to the outer fringe. Then it's criminalizing. And then it gets as far as physical violence, which can include incarceration and martyrdom. We are at some level of persecution. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians to the church in chapter 1, verse 4, 2 Thessalonians 1, 4, he wrote to them and he says, that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions, all your persecutions, whether there's vilifying you, criminalizing you, physically beating you, and tribulations that you endure. Now I want you to see that last word. Everybody say endure. Here's what you do with bad legislation or oppressiveness coming in trying to tell us how we do things here's how we handle it we endure it we don't run from it we we can't always change it we may not we 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 don't bear up arms and try to you know take people out but we we do endure amen paul the apostle was thrown in prison but in prison under house arrest that is a kind of persecution. He said it himself. He says, I'm being persecuted. But he wasn't a victim. We're not going to play the victim. Amen. Is this making any sense to anybody? I hope. We're not going to play the victim. We're not victims. But we will endure it. And we will continue to move on and be the people of God in the times that we live whether we're criminalized or vilified or marginalized or stereotyped, it doesn't matter. You can say what you want. You can try to repress, but we're going to be the people of God. We're going to do God's work. We're going to stay with the program, amen, because we're not victims. And I want to show you a couple of, I want to show you a couple of things that point this out. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 35, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? He said, no, nothing is going to separate us from God's love. He didn't say, wow, if God, if God allows persecution, then I don't know, this whole thing's a mess. He said, no, we're still loved by God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, he said, in 2 Corinthians, do I have that one up there? No, it should be 12.10. Okay. It's the right one. Go ahead and show it. 
1210, yeah. Therefore, Paul says, I take pleasure in infirmities. Watch this, listen to his words. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. We're not a victim. I mean, it may get hard. It may, it may be at days unbearable. And I want to just say this. I, let me just go out on the record. We haven't seen anything yet. Like, I mean, I know we do a lot of whining. Oh, they kept us locked down for, you know. Listen, there are people that are losing their life, and they'll lose it today for Jesus. And we haven't, we're, we, we've never been there, not, not on that level, not in our generation. And all I'm saying is, this is all a tactic of the enemy. People are pawns in his hands, governments are pawns in his hands, that's all they are. We know the real warfare. One final thing, and then I'll bring this to a close. This is the tactic of the enemy. He tries to destroy our work through resignation. So infiltration and isolation and separation and legislation, it's all the shuns, you know that, and resignation. Now remember what we read in chapter 4, verse 24? It said the work ceased. It stopped. You know why it stopped? Because the people stopped. It ceased, but that wasn't God's will. It wasn't God's will for the work to stop. The only reason it stopped is because the people didn't stay in the fight and let the Lord fight their battle for them. They got discouraged. They became troubled. They were overcome with frustration. And they said, you know what? I don't need this. I don't want this. I quit this. They quit. And so for 15 years, nothing of the will of God was done concerning the temple. If we quit, the devil wins. People give up, though, because they feel beat up in life or they feel burned out. They feel beat up or they get burned out. And so we just quit. But here's what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Paul says in Galatians 6, he said, read this out loud with me, would you, and together, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Next verse. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So, Paul says, doing good is not always easy. It's hard, it's long, and it can be treacherous. But hang in there. Because there is a harvest coming. If we just stay in the fight, if we stay in the... Really, it's, if we stay expanding and, and 
extending the kingdom of God in our time, and not just in the four walls of the church. That's not what I mean. Actually, what I mean, what we're doing here is for out there. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And he didn't mean the gates of hell will stop coming at you. He said, I'm going to build my church, and as I build my church, my church goes out, and hell will not be able to stop it. That's what he means. So what we're doing here and what we do on Wednesdays and what we do in home groups only is to equip us to take it out there and to overcome the powers of darkness in our society, in our world. Amen. So church, let's build. Let's rebuild. But while you build, resist the adversary. Because he wants to stop the work of God. Let's stand together. If I could have the prayer team come. Today, if you need a touch of God, a healing touch, you need a hug from God, you need the Lord to speak into your life, or... If you're here today and you would like to give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, you can come up here and any one of these folks would be willing to pray with you, to lead you. If you and if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, everything I talked about today really means nothing until we first come to the cross and say, I need Jesus in my life. I need to come. And maybe you, maybe you had walked with the Lord maybe years ago or... And you kind of walked away and you want to recommit your heart to him. Today would be a great day to do that. And these good folks would be willing to pray with you about that. Just surrendering your life to him. But if you need the Lord in any way, when I'm done praying, you can come this way. And uh, there's no prayer request that's insignificant. It's all important. So Lord, thank you for meeting with us here today. We love your presence. Thank you for your power. And thank you, God, that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And we thank you, Lord, that Satan is under our feet. You've given us authority to walk on the heads of scorpions and serpents that nothing by any means shall harm us. You have made us victorious. You did it, Lord. Thank you for that. And I pray, God, that as a church and as individuals that we would walk in your authority and that we would not be unaware of the devil's schemes. Open our eyes, God. Make us alert. I pray, we pray. I pray today in Jesus' name. And everybody says amen. Amen. Amen.